in 1997 that I was a freshman at Ole Miss. Fins up. I arrived as a wide-eyed 6'11 kid from Paragould, Arkansas, on a scholarship to play basketball. One of the first things that I can remember were my teammates. We were, we were uh, in the glory days of Ole Miss basketball in the late 90s and early two, 2000s. And the year before I arrived on campus in 96, 97, our team, my teammates, had won the Western Division. <clears throat> they were talking about the season, reflecting on that, and I'm coming in as a, as a newcomer and a, a freshman, totally void of that previous experience. But boy, one thing I knew, my teammates were excited about getting their championship rings. <clears throat> and I can remember just feeling, oh man, dude, I, I want one of those too. And hearing them talking about it and knowing that they were going to gather at halftime of a football game in front of 40,000 people in a ceremony and receive their championship rings, and I was not going to get one because I was not a part of that team, that previous team. I can remember thinking, oh, I would do anything to get one of those rings. I would do anything to get one of those rings. Is that what a champion is about? I brought these as a visual illustration. Not only did I get one, I ended up with two. And very well, I'll put these back in my pocket. It'll be a distraction to me. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember thinking, if I ever get one of those rings, I will never take it off. I'd never take it off. Y'all, I can count on both hands how many times I've wore these rings. These rings will be put up on a shelf. They'll be given to my children. They'll be melted down one day. They will tarnish and fade. They'll be worthless generations down the line. Is that why we want to be a champion? To get a trophy? To get a pat on the back? To get a championship ring? This morning, we're going to look at being a champion in Christ. And I've got a couple of things that we'll walk through. I'm going to invite you all to read along with me. Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul was the first member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Because we see him alluding to athletic uh, illustrations and terminology several times in his writings, and this might be my favorite. So as our custom, if you would please, let's stand together in the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. 
but we and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day, for the opportunity to gather, Lord, with my faith family and the privilege to be able to share from God's word, Lord, the message that you've impressed on my heart. I pray, Lord, that it would go forth and encourage, instruct, and teach us, Lord, how to live, how to live well. Lord, speak through me, bless our time together, and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You guys take a seat. Take just a brief moment before we get into the body of uh, uh, my time uh, to introduce myself personally. I've mentioned I'm six feet, 11 inches tall. I list, listed at seven feet in the program. Uh, uh, been a follower of Christ since uh, uh, my early high school days. Uh, the son of uh, Mary and the late Richard Engstrom. A husband to a beautiful wife. We've got a picture here. My beautiful family. We are members here. My beautiful wife, our eldest son, Jack, in the middle, our four, our three-year-old, uh, Max, on the right, and our baby, who's one, Charlie, um, on the left. <clears throat> Not pictured there is our beautiful daughter, who's no longer with me, with us. It's our uh, testimony of my wife and I. We've had a a baby girl, our firstborn, uh, she would be six years old. Uh, she passed away after 105 days. I preached her funeral right around the third row back before this uh, uh, facility was expanded. Uh, but me and my wife have been members here since 2010. I was ordained to the gospel ministry on this very stage in December of last year, 17. I've been teaching uh, with uh, Pastor Derek the seventh graders, for about the last uh, four or five years, uh, seventh grade boys connect during this hour. Um, my wife and I help volunteer with the Fostering Hope here in this church, and on a personal note, I enjoy video games and smoking meats, turkey and barbecue. It's a good day when the smoke rises in our backyard. Professionally, I'm the area director, multi-area director with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've been employed by FCA for 17 years now. It's the only full-time job that I've ever known. Uh, moved from Oxford up here to South Haven, uh, where we reside, and that was in 2006. Uh, our ministry base is officed out of Brown Missionary Baptist Church there in South Haven. That's where we office out of. We've grown to a, a multi-staff team here locally. Uh, here's a map that, um, whoa, hey, let's go one more. There we go, let's come here. This is a map that uh, illustrates the multi-area that I serve over northwest Mississippi. A three-pronged strategy, the north-central area, which is in red, not maroon. Uh, <laughs> 13 counties in the Delta, so that's 23 counties. You'll see a star where Oxford is that's no... Uh, not my affinity to Ole Miss, but to represent our uh, specific strategy that we have as FCA, a multi-staff uh, there on campus in Oxford. And this is, our, this is our staff chart, if we can go back to the other. You can barely see that. There are 10 staff here that serve across that multi-area director in northwest Mississippi, a 10-person staff team. 
Uh, my direct report is our state director, and I've got three directors here that I directly uh, report to. We've got three staff there on campus at Ole Miss and an intern at uh, um, Northwest Community College. <clears throat> Basically, with the intention of uh, uh, multiplying ministry, that's what I get a chance to do, uh, to identify volunteers, to grow our staff team, to integrate the, the coaches, schools, and campuses with the gospel of Jesus Christ with a backdoor approach through FCA and through athletics, not going through the front door, not that we can't, but with relationships, we're going into the back door of these schools uh, to meet with coaches and athletes. <clears throat> That's a little bit about myself and what I get a chance to do. Let's talk about being a champion in Christ. No good FCA guy does not have a great go-to message on David and Goliath. And that's where we're going to start. Before I do so, let's look back at verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now the sports psychology term is mental imagery. Athletes doing this every week as they're sitting in their locker, head down, headphones on, and they're replaying highlights in their mind of what is yet to come. They're seeing it before they do it to engage their mind that they will be successful. Mental imagery. And athletes do this every game. And we need to do this as champions in Christ. We need to know that we win in the end. That we can move by faith and know that Jesus Christ has got the victory for us to meditate and to see ourselves winning for Christ. And I love this. You've got to see it before you see it or you'll never see it. You've got to see it before you see it or you'll never see it. The vision. We can see David, we can see, uh, uh, we see this in the story of David. Now look at this picture. <clears throat> oh, and I love, uh, I love Malcolm Gladwell's book, David vs. Goliath, Misfits, Underdogs, and the Art of Defeating Giants. Tremendous book. <clears throat> But when we see giants in our lives, usually our perspective is wrong. David had a tremendous perspective. Champions have to have the right mindset. We have to have the right mindset. We have to visualize things. We have to know who God is. And that's the first thing that we see in David versus Goliath's story. We see that David could see God. David knew his position before God. He could see it. Secondly, as David could see his fight was unconventional. Oh, and I love this. We see, we see unconventionality all the time in athletics. Uh, we see it in football. Uh, many years ago, the biggest, the strongest, uh, the wing tee, the triple option, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust, 
And if you weren't strong enough up front to control the line, you were going to lose the game. That was the conventional way to play the game of football. Well, over the last 20 years, we've seen the spread. Now, the spread offense makes a defense defend the whole field. It's an unconventional offense when it started. What are these guys doing? Spreading it out, making us cover the whole field. And you began to see defenses having to adjust, not just bigger, stronger linemen and linebackers, but smaller and quicker to be able to cover the entire field. It was an unconventional strategy. We see it with the press in basketball. The conventional wisdom is to retreat back and defend the basketball goal. But we see when, when people press, make them, they guard the entire length of the floor. <clears throat> the press is so powerful. Any of y'all with kids, y'all, y'all know this. The press is so powerful that for the younger kids without fundamental skills and strength to make the skip pass, they'll outlaw the press. They won't let kids press until the fourth quarter. Peewee basketball, upwards, those type of things. Because it's so deadly and profound. We see that in David and Goliath as well. David shows up with a sling. Saul tried to get him to come and fight conventionally, didn't he? He tried to get him to come out in the armor and the sword. But boy, when David showed up with a sling... there was an underdog indeed. And it wasn't David when David showed up with a sling. He, he, He brought a sniper rifle to a sword fight. It was an unconventional battle. Now, slingers were so good Back in, this, back in David's time, that they could hit birds out of the air. David shows up with a sling. And the, 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 it, was, it was basically already won. An unconventional fight. David was skilled, prepared, and he was experienced. That's a typo. It should be 1737 is the verse. That's where David references... Uh, the Lord has saved me from the paw of the lion and the mouth of the bear. The Lord, the Lord had, had, was with David and had given him experience. Champions in Christ have faith that the Check one, two. We're back on. We're live. <clears throat> champions in Christ have faith that the Lord is going to be in the victory. They've got the right mindset, number one. Number two, champions compete. Champions compete. Let's look at the scripture in verse 25. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We see a couple of things here in this passage, these two verses. 
We see that there was a goal. We see that there was a fight. And we see that there was a finish. The goal. The athlete's goal is the wreath, the crown, the championship ring. But we an imperishable. A goal that is eternal in its nature. That's the goal. And we see a fight. So I do not run aimlessly as the box against beating in the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control. Oh, what a fight. <laughs> what a fight. Lord, help me. To keep our bodies under control. There's a fight. And we also see a finish. It's not forever. It says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others. There's going to come a time when the preaching ends. There's going to come a time for all of us when our bodies give out. There's a goal, there's a fight, there's a finish. This is a picture uh, of the greatest, the self-proclaimed greatest. This is Muhammad Ali. And he's pummeling some uh, uh, unknowable and, dare I say, unrecognizable white man <clears throat> named Chuck Wepner. Now, we've all heard of Muhammad Ali. Very few of us have heard about Chuck Wepner, or have we? This photo was taken in 1975, March 24th. This was a title fight between Wepner and Muhammad Ali. So uh, Chuck Wepner, um, a brawler, a journeyman boxer from the slums of New York City, found himself in a 15-round 15 15 round title fight with the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. This is in 1975. You can watch this on YouTube. I did for research purposes. And it's painful to watch. Webner was in no class with Muhammad Ali. This guy was just, he was swinging. And, you know, Muhammad Ali was just so, so tight with his jabs. Uh, float like a butterfly, sting like, sting like a bee. He was so quick. It, he was outmatched. Well, in the ninth round, Webner delivered a body blow to a stumbling Muhammad Ali. And knocked him down. It was the third time that Muhammad Ali had ever been knocked down in a fight. And after that, y'all, you can see it on the tape, Ali is out for blood. So for the next four rounds, he just barraged this man. You can see it on his face there in the, in the picture. He is bloodied up, face swollen, <clears throat> Into the 14th round, going into the 15th and final, the crowd began to roar. <clears throat> because Webner had just made it past the bell into the 15th round. So the crowd now stands, knowing that the fight will end after 15 rounds. And they cheer. Ring the bell for the 15th round, and the barrage is on as Ali does not want Webner to make it through the fight. Webner gets down once. Crowd goes crazy as he rises up to fight his foe. <clears throat> Ali continues his barrage, 
punch after punch. The crowd roaring with every punch that's landed. Can he make it to the end? He didn't make it. 19 seconds. 19 seconds was all that he needed to make it to the end. And he couldn't do it. The crowd roars. Well, watching this fight uh, was an unknown writer and actor named Sylvester Stallone. Who writes the transcript and the story to the movie Rocky. Now y'all know the rest of the story. Rocky was not about, if y'all remember, a tremendous series, five, six, seven, they're still making Rocky movies. But the first one, and the second one he wins the title, and the third one he goes on, and my favorite one was to fight the Russian and all this kind of stuff. The first one, you'll know, you'll notice, it wasn't about Rocky Balboa winning the title. It was about him going 15 rounds with the champ just to see if he could do it. Champions in Christ, we compete. The heart of a champion, the, he- the heart of a never quit, the heart to be able to rise in the 15th round. It's not up to us to gain the fruit of the ministry, but for us to be faithful to the cause of Christ, to go into advance and to move. Champions compete. We fight, we move with a cause. So champions have the right mindset. Champions compete. Lastly, champions work together. Let's look at verse 25. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we... But we, there's no lone range, lone ranger Christians. We can't do it. You can't do it by yourself. We're not meant to do it by ourselves. Let's take a look at this. Y'all tell me what you see in this picture here. What's going on here? These folks have got to be on the same page. They'll never get anything done with this, uh, uh, this type of, oh, long view point, long view point. We got to be on the same page. We got to be doing this thing together. We got to move in the same direction. Y'all have seen something like this before. I, I was not able to find, not everything's true on the internet. So in, in trying to research behind this, uh, this thought here, there are all kinds of stats. We don't know what's true, but I do know this is true. Brother Frank can probably attest with his background. Two of these ox, let's say one of them can pull 500 pounds. You would think you strap two of these jokers together that they'd be able to pull 1,000 pounds. Y'all know this. It's well over 1,000 pounds. They're moving together. They can do so much more together than they can apart. It's an athletic term we use all the time, synergy. Where the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. One plus one does not equal two, 
when you got those oxen pulling in the same direction. One plus one is more than two. So we've got to work together. This is my last picture. Hey, I had to throw a basketball one in there, didn't I? This was 2013 and 14. <clears throat> this is the San Antonio Spurs. A couple of things stand out. There were nine different nationalities on this team. Now, after this, uh, after this Spurs team wins the NBA title, you've got the big three here, San Antonio, Tim Duncan, Manu, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, accompanied by the rising superstar Kawhi Leonard. In this picture alone here, we see five different faces, five different national, five, four and a half. Let me explain. <clears throat> so on the right here, you got Patty Mills. He's from Australia. Manu Ginobili from Argentina. Tim Duncan from uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is a lot closer to Venezuela than it is to Florida. I'll just say that. Then you got Tony Parker from France. Kawhi Leonard from California, which is its own country, isn't it? Nine different nationalities. And I remember this team. I remember it well. It was like watching poetry in motion in basketball. This team was nearly unstoppable. They played the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat coming off back-to-back -back titles. If, my, if LeBron James, Dwayne uh, Wade, Chris Bosh, they win this game, they got a three-peat. They had beaten this team the year before in seven games. But they lost to this Spurs team in five, it was the largest point differential in basketball playoff history. They beat them by an average of 14 points. Greg Popovich had this as an adage to the team, summed up the whole season. The ball doesn't stick. The ball doesn't stick. Always move the basketball. And you see the synergy that's involved. Not one-on-one, -on -one, playground style, I'm better than you. But it was five-person unit giving up good shots to get great shots for a teammate. The, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. We got to do this, y'all. Champions in Christ, we know and play. You got to know and play your role. Know and play your role within the body of Christ, working together to maximize kingdom impact. To the cause of expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world. That we can do more together as a body of believers than we can apart. Being a champion in Christ, champions have the right mindset. We know who wins in the end. We can move forward with faith accordingly. Champions compete. The ability to get up, to move, to fight, to engage for the cause of Christ. As champions in Christ, we got to get up and we got to move. We got to compete. And champions work together. We can do so much more together than we can apart. 
knowing our role, working inside the context of the church to maximize kingdom impact. What about you? Is your Christian faith, is your walk with the Lord, is it something that you would concern? Would you consider it champion-like? Are you just riding the bench? You got, a, you got a spot on the pew. You got a spot on the bench. You're wearing the colors of Team Jesus Christ, but you're not in the game. You don't have the right mindset. You're not working together with teammates. You're not engaged in the outreach in the arms of the church moving into our community. <clears throat> Back in my old Miss days, Seven days before our first exhibition game, I tear my ACL. I'd had the opportunity to do all the preseason uh, work, uh, in line to play, knee injury, medical red shirt my first year. And boy, I struggled. I struggled to see the floor during my time at Ole Miss. And it was painful for a young man who wants to compete. We were doing so well traveling to all these places, winning games. My senior year, we were 27-8, and eight, the best record that any team has ever had at Ole Miss. We ended up going to the Sweet 16, which is farther than any team has advanced in Ole Miss history. <clears throat> it makes my heart sick to think of this young kid, and I remember y'all traveling to Lexington to play Kentucky, to Fayetteville to play the Razorbacks, to Gainesville to play the Gators. And we would come back on these charter flights. Oh, no way to fly other than charter. It's amazing. Planes waiting for us on the runway. We show up, load our bags, and we go. So that was the benefit of being a college athlete. Um, the bad part about being a college athlete is you're going to get back at 1, 2 in the morning, and the coach would look down the, the lane of that plane, and he said, all right, guys, y'all with an 8 o'clock class? We're checking class at 8 o'clock. After these games on the road, the coach would print up the stat sheet. And they would pass out this stat sheet. It would start at the front of the plane, just like a high school bus for any of you college or high school athletes. Coaches at the front, players in the back. <clears throat> head coach would get the stat sheet. He'd look at it. He'd pass it over his head. The assistants would look at it, then just going back to the players. And, y'all, you, you could hear the buzz after good games especially. Groans after poor performances. <clears throat> These players couldn't wait to get their hands on the stat sheet. They'd look at that thing. The point guards are looking at uh, turnovers and assists. Right? The forwards are looking at points, assists, rebounds. The big guys, we're looking at points and rebounds. See if we can get double-doubles. Everybody's looking at the stat sheet. And I could just see the glow oftentimes as folks are laughing and joking and cutting up and passing that thing back. And I can remember, y'all, all too often that thing would be coming back and I'd be sick. It feels sick just telling this story. Because I knew that when I got the stat sheet, it was my turn to look. <clears throat> There wouldn't be zeros 
They didn't do, they didn't do us, me, the respect to put zeros in the stat lines. Now, my name was on the roster. Seven feet, Paragould, Arkansas, John Engstrom. But I'd get that sheet, and I'd be sick because I knew that there were going to be three letters by my name. DNP. Did not play. What about you? Do you have a DNP on your spiritual stat sheet? Names on the roster. Old Miss Rebels, it's on there. DNP? What about for you who may not be on the team? May not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were asked today, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? Your answer might be no. Y'all, you can, we, can, we can get you on the team today. You can join his team today. You can be on his team. And what about you, casual Christian? This wearing the colors of Team Jesus Christ, but you're not in the game. Y'all, we can commit to follow after Christ today. We can renew that commitment. For any of you who might want to make a commitment to follow after Christ, perhaps there's some things, perhaps there's some things that you need to lay at the altar this morning that's standing in your way from being a true champion for Christ. Sin's entangling your feet and you're trying to run the race, but you can't get past some things. Y'all come, lay that at the altar. However the Lord has spoken to you, this morning, the invitation is for you to come.